Before the word is read and proclaimed, I invite you to turn with me to tonight's reading. We're reading from the Gospel of Mark. We're reading from the 8th chapter, beginning with the 27th verse. Before the word is read, let's pray. Oh, holy God, we do pray that you speak to us to, through the word that we hear read and proclaimed this evening. Lord, we trust that you have prepared each one of our hearts to receive your word and seal it there so that we, we may be strengthened in our faith and in our walk. We do trust, Lord, that you do redeem our lives, that you raise us up from the ashes, that you fill us with hope and a future. And Lord, we know that your word is powerful. Your word transforms us. And Lord, we do pray that you send your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to illumine our minds. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord God, you are our rock and you are our redeemer. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's turn now to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, beginning with verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. About 40 years ago, I remember one of my friends saying to me, I just have such a hard time with my mother-in-law. She is my cross to bear. And she assured me that it came from the Bible, what she was telling me. And it was a mystery to me. I hadn't heard that phrase said in that way before. And so in searching the Bible, sure enough, I came across Jesus' own words. But I also quickly realized, as you no doubt would realize from tonight's reading, that what Jesus meant in taking up our cross and following him really has nothing to do with bearing with our mother-in-laws. 
The cross that Jesus talked about taking up was horrific. Everyone who heard Jesus that day probably looked at each other and they wondered if they were hearing him right. The Messiah certainly wouldn't die on a cross. God's Messiah was supposed to be powerful. They believed that God's anointed one was going to come in all power and glory and he was going to set things right that Israel would be a great nation once again. The cross was meant for criminals. It was uh, meant for people who were mocked and despised. Surely God would not allow his Messiah to be killed on a cross. The crowd listening to Jesus talk about his cross would have been horrified at what he was saying. See, the cross was all too real for them. I feel like today we kind of get lulled into complacency. We wear our crosses on our lapels, around our necks, in our ears as jewelry, as something pretty. But then the cross was something very visceral to them, very real, because you see, they saw people get killed on the cross all the time. That's what the Romans did when people wouldn't stay in line. They made an example of them. Following Jesus to his cross was not at all what they expected that Jesus would ask them to do for him. And very likely, we are not at all expecting Jesus to ask that of us as well. The churches here in the Burgettstown Area Ministerial Association are spending this Lenten season talking about taking up our cross. We want to use these Wednesday evenings to focus on gratitude to Jesus for what he has done for us by dying on the cross and also to remind us that we too need to take up our crosses and follow him. Jesus asked each of us to count the cost of being his disciple. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So I ask you tonight, can you do it? It's not easy. Can you surrender your life into Jesus' care? Can you deny yourself? Can you take up your cross and follow Jesus? Jesus was pretty clear when he said that belonging to him was not going to be easy. We can expect to suffer if we follow him. We can expect to be ridiculed mocked and spit upon, maybe, because he was. People won't like the way we think. People won't like the way we act. People won't like the way we talk, and people won't like the way we love. People will persecute us, too, just like they did to him. It's not easy. But Jesus promises that it is all going to be worth it. When the things of this world come to an end, we will still have Jesus. There's nothing in this life or in death that can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. I imagine that all of us here tonight want the kind of life that Jesus promises to give us. Deep in our soul, we long for that intimate relationship with God that will never end. 
First, though, we need to ask ourselves how we would answer Jesus when he asked us the same question that he asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? I think that this is the most important question that we will ever have to answer in our entire life. We who call ourselves a Christian must personally know with certainty who Jesus is. If we're not sure in our own heart and in our own mind who Jesus is, then our faith is not going to stand up. It's going to be flimsy. It's going to be wobbly. When your life begins to crumble around you, you need that firm foundation to stand on. For those times when you feel like life is pulling you under, you will need to trust beyond all doubt that Jesus is never going to let you go. So I ask you, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a teacher? Is he a good example to follow? Some say he's just a fairy tale. Some treat Jesus like he's a good wish genie. Is Jesus something more? Do you believe that Jesus is the only one who can bring you into God's kingdom and seal you to God for eternity? I hope so. When we do take a stand with Jesus and tell the world that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was sent by God to make us right with God, we too will be persecuted by the world. When we trust that Jesus is our Savior and the Lord of our lives, we know the world isn't going to like what we stand for. We know that the world will try to silence us because our values will not be what the culture wants us to value. And sometimes we don't have to look very far, do we? There's people in our own families, our own neighborhood, that really don't want to hear what we believe about Jesus. By carrying our cross, however, the gospel is shared. That's how we share the gospel. And that is what you and I need to do if we want to be counted among his disciples. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all remind us that we can't shrink back from the saving power of the gospel. You see, Jesus says if we're ashamed to voice it, if we're ashamed to live it with our lives, then our lives that we're trying to protect by staying quiet will be hollow and empty. Jesus had some pretty strong words to say about it, didn't he? He said, it's so important whether you decide to live with me or without me. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with all of his angels. He even went further in Matthew's version. He said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father. But who does not acknowledge me, who disowns me before men, I also will disown before my Father. 
I want to tell you a story about a remarkable young man. And he took a lot of time to figure out his answer about who do you say that I am. His name was Nabil Qureshi. He was raised as a Muslim in the United States by parents who were from Pakistan, and they were very devout. He was taught about his Muslim faith from a very early age, and in fact, by age five, he could recite the Quran in Arabic by heart at age five. And he was determined to defend Islam as the true religion. He was brilliant, and he was very persuasive. When Nabil went to college, he met another young man who was just as strong in his Christian faith. And despite their very intense arguments about religion, they were close friends, and they stayed close friends even after college and through medical school. His friend David was just as equipped to argument, argue for the Christian faith as Nabil was able and equipped to argue for Islam. You see, it's not that Muslims don't believe in Jesus. They do believe that Jesus performed miracles. What Islam denies, however, is that Jesus is God. They deny that Jesus truly died and that Jesus truly was raised from the dead. They do not believe that Jesus was divine. Well, Nabil, he researched this. He wanted to be able to prove that Christianity was all wrong. He wanted to say that what Christians believe about Jesus was false. But instead, the more he studied and researched, Nabil was shocked by the overwhelming evidence that Jesus was divine, that he had truly died on the cross, and that he had truly been resurrected from death. And then Nabil had a dream. And in his dream, he was standing in a narrow doorway. And he was looking through the doorway. And on the other side of the doorway, he could see all these people sitting at a big table. And they were waiting for a banquet to be served. And he even saw his friend David sitting there at the table looking out through him, at him. And Nabil was very sad because he wanted to be able to get into that banquet table, but he realized that the door was too small and he couldn't get through. And then when Nabil told his friend David about the dream that he had, David told Nabil, you know, Jesus told a parable about that in the Bible. It's very similar to your dream. And then Nabil took his Bible and he looked up that parable and he heard Jesus say, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking on the door and pleading, sir, open the door for us, but he won't answer. He will say, I don't know you, and I don't know where you are from. Realizing the significance of his dream, Nabil said that his heart was electrified into life. And he went through a lot of agony and grief, you see, because asking Jesus to be his Lord and Savior meant that he would lose his family, who he loved dearly and respected dearly. 
But Nabil knew what his answer to Jesus' question had to be. Just like Simon Peter, Nabil also answered Jesus, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And then Nabil took up his cross and he followed Jesus. Nabil went on to become part of Ravi Zacharias' ministry. Have you heard of him? And then Nabil got to tell thousands of people about the truth about Jesus. He wrote three books, and one of them is called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. His life was dramatically transformed by the power of the gospel. And you can hear his testimony, if you'd like, on YouTube. Sadly, a few years ago, Nabil developed cancer, and he left this earth. But gladly, Nabil has now taken his place at that great banquet table in heaven. He entered through the narrow door into eternal life. You see, lives given over to Jesus are blessed. Jesus exposes the difference between the life that this world offers that seems real but isn't, and the life that Jesus offers us that doesn't always seem real but is the true real life. Jesus said, whoever wants to lose, save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world but yet forfeit his soul? Eternal life is far more than just a someday thing. Eternal life is the presence of God, and it's the presence of God now that begins when Jesus becomes your Savior and you ask him to be Lord of your life. It's that moment when you're transferred over from death to life, from darkness into light, from the clutches of the ruler of this world into the hands of God. That moment means everything. You see, Jesus is God's gift to us so that we are able to live life joyously with God now and forever. I admit it is frightening to give the ownership of your life over to God, to say, take it, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. It's frightening. But you see, Jesus holds life, abundant life, not counterfeit life, a life filled with things of this world is not true life. True life is filled with the presence of God. It is mind-boggling, isn't it, to think that Jesus would live heaven willingly and then come to earth and then take up residence in a human body. Why did he do it? Amazingly, he did it because he loves us. And the Father loves us and the Holy Spirit loves us. Together, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they together work with together as a team to reconcile us to God. Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin by dying on the cross, and the Holy Spirit convinces us that it's true, that we do need a Savior. And then God the Father welcomes us when we are cleansed by the blood of his Son into his holy kingdom. Tonight, we put away all of our pretense, 
because we're observing now the season of Lent, you know, all those things that we like to cover up and pretend that we aren't, tonight we lay them bare. It's so easy to fall into that trap of feeling like we're self-sufficient, that we're the ones that are working our way into God's holiness, but tonight we're not going to fake it. We can't fake it. Tonight we admit the sins that we try so hard to hide, we're going to wear them visibly on the outside. We know we need Jesus, don't we? We need Jesus because we know that none of our best good deeds are going to earn us entrance into God's presence. Nothing that we say or do can open up the gates of the kingdom for us. Paul put it so well, there is no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As sobering as that statement is, there is good news. You see, Jesus, he's given us his own holiness. In these weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, we take time to remember what we should actually remember every week of the year, that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So how do you and I say thank you to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for all that they have done for us? Well, first and foremost, we will live to the glory of God. We will surrender our will to his will. We will live to serve God instead of ourselves. No matter, no matter what the cost, we're going to take up our cross. And what are we going to do? We're going to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, you have blessed us with what we do not deserve. You have sent your son to take up his cross so that he could bear our sins upon it. He poured out his life for our redeeming. Because of his sacrifice, we are able to come into your presence and become your children. And we have your promise that we will live with you now and forever. Help us by your Holy Spirit to never take your gift for granted. Bless us and strengthen us as we follow Jesus with our cross and with our lives. Amen.